Just right. do it. Just do it. Darth Nikeus. I didn't know he had sponsorship. That's pretty cool. How do we get on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, here we go. Welcome to Nothing to Fear, a weekly horror movie podcast hosted by three wonderful people who are learning to enjoy horror movies. My name is Billy Schultz. I'm your host, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Luke Mason and Alex Wan. Alex, how are you this morning? Sorry for being late to the record. Oh, no, no problem. I'm super good. I got to have a little little catch up with Luke and then, you know, just sitting here waiting, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very excited. There's nothing, there's like, there's very little to introduce about my day when, you know, I woke Mm -hmm. up 15 minutes before this, so. How's your week? Yeah. Oh, my week, (laughs) week could have been better, but it's the long weekend, so I'm I'm Mm -hmm. happy about that. We have Monday off, you know, as the Newfies like to say, it's May 2-4. The May 2-4 weekend, yeah, that's as we're recording it, Mm. and happy by the time you'll have heard this happy memorial day in the states as well so we got like alternating weeks of holidays nice but is memorial day yeah. similar to remembrance day because no veterans day is remembrance day right so yeah, what is memorial day kind... what are you memor- mem- in memorial of i don't know you'll have to ask an american but i think it's okay. like that well, is sort of any. the summer season where it's like memorial day is the first like long weekend of the summer and then veterans day kind of closes it off and like it's like and now it's the fall and everyone's back to school or maybe that's labor day i don't know i don't know america's weird no we have <laughs> labor day can agree with that. we have a labor we have day. labor day but we spell it with a u so it's different <laughs> and i guess yeah it's it's hard we're still in lockdown you're still working from home so you're like i go from work computer to the same computer that is hangout computer <laughs> No, I got my own Hangout computer, which is nice. I don't have to look at work yeah. stuff. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's, How about that's you, me. Luke? That's my life. Mm. Welcome. Well, I'm glad. We're glad to have you. How are you doing, Luke? How's your week been? Well, I think if I had, if if Alex had to catch up with me, I guess I'll have a mustard with him. <laughs> a little hot dog joke there for you. Start your start your podcast. I relish that. Oh, I really relish that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yes, mayonnaise. Something mayonnaise. Something <laughs> something mayonnaise. It's, Any- <laughs> it's the mayonnaise long weekend, Luke. It's the mayonnaise ah, long weekend. There we go. Sorry. Your joke pulled me out of my malaise anaise. So Get out of here. my week. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. It was good. I wonder if Memorial Day since I don't actually know, I'm gonna obviously have an opinion about it. I think one. I wonder if Memorial Day is like just for anyone who's ever died. Like, there's memorials for not just soldiers, but just anyone. So I wonder if it's like a anyone who we ever remember ever. We're gonna have a day for them. Hmm. So do they all just get the same one day? I don't think I'm right, but I feel like it's a logical hypothesis. <laughs> okay, just well, <laughs> I have an answer. We'll wait for the. I fan actually now. looked it up. Oh because... no! Okay. <laughs> I'm done speculating. <laughs> Memorial right, Day is a federal go. holiday in the United States for honoring and mourning the military personnel who have died in the performance of their military duties while serving in the United States Armed Forces. Uh, so, so it is like a military holiday. So I was completely wrong. Yeah. You know <laughs> what? It's it's only it's only right, you know, they spend so much money on their military. It's only right <laughs> that they have that many holidays for them. Well, but that that sounds I'm political early. That sounds mo- <laughs> That's much... nothing political. It's fact. It's straight fact. 
out of the entire world, America is the one to spend the most money on the military. I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with that, and therefore they should have more holidays for it. Absolutely. I could not imagine a more neutral tone of voice than the one you're taking, Alex. So, (laughs) that's how, but I was going to say, that sounds much more specifically like Remembrance Day in Canada. So, what is Veterans Day? Is Veterans Day like everyone who's still alive, maybe, that served in war? (laughs) I feel I feel also like this is a conversation that we're having on an episode that is taking place before the week the weekend in question and will air weeks after the weekend in question. So we've got our finger right on the pulse. Perfect. Oh, listener, up. if you're listening to this when it comes out, wait actually like I would say wait like 48 weeks and then listen to this, then yeah. it becomes more relevant, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Billy, if I'm not mistaken, we got a review that we're a little too serious, and so we really got to buck that trend. <laughs> we did. We got one that someone was saying, listen, you're real serious, you don't know how to pronounce Dizzy Spacek, and uh, just keep doing a better job. And I was like, that is a very specific review from episode two of our podcast, so oh. thanks for listening. I always thought it was pronounced Sissy Johnson. Man, I'm uh, sorry, listener. No. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so, Billy, in other words, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Oh, great. I'm also doing well. Again, I'm sorry I was late to the recording. I had to wait for people to leave the house that I'm recording in. And then also, as I was like finally ready, I turned around and put my foot down on the carpet. And wouldn't you know it, I found just the most disgusting big hairball that my cat left me. So I had to clean that up. And, you know, I was like, at least this gross hairball will be the most disgusting thing I see today. But (laughs) Alex, can you tell us what movie we're watching? (laughs) Yes. I'm actually really excited for this because it is so famous and so iconic, but I haven't actually seen it in its whole entirety ever, I don't think. Really? Yeah. We are going to watch 1979's Alien, singular. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's what we're watching. Why are you excited about this movie? I am excited for space. I think space is awesome. We've really only done one space horror movie, and that was a kind of a letdown. And space (laughs) has always been near and dear to my heart, you know, with such things such as in NASA, you know, the the most recent SpaceX launches, and of course, Star Wars. Of course. course. Space is incredible. There's just so much you can do with it because there's so little we know. So it's like as Mm -hmm. much as your imagination can build and... You know, there's always a sense of realism embedded in it because it is like science fiction. So, yeah, space itself is cool. Horror in space is a super cool concept because, you know, again, Mm -hmm. it's like we don't know what's out there. We don't know. Like, it could be anything. So as long as you're able to make a good plot, I think anything is really believable when you set it out in space. Especially notable documentary Star Wars. Yes. The most realistic yeah. depiction of space there is. <laughs> the most realistic diplomatic negotiations ever <laughs> recorded. Yeah, and then in terms of Alien itself, I've always been, I've, I would say I've always been a big fan of Ripley Scott. I think sometimes he gets a little bit long-winded. He's like that prof that you enjoy. Did I say Ripley Scott? I meant Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Ripley is the character. Ripley is the Guinness Book of World Records guy, right? <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> I think it, Ripley played the talented Mr. Damon at some point. <laughs> wow. Okay. I also don't believe that. <laughs> anyway, R- yeah, Ridley Scott. I've always liked Talk Ridley Scott, even though he's been a little bit long-winded at times. Like, you know, 
Some examples include Robin Hood. But uh, I think he's a great, like, visionary director. And this this movie is just, like, it's iconic, and I don't know why it's iconic, and I'm excited to find out why it's iconic. Oh, that's awesome. I have seen the scene, you know, as, as most people probably have, mm-hmm. and that scene was awesome, super cool. But I'm excited to learn how we get to that scene and what comes of it. So that's, Ooh, that's great. That's, that's 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 my thoughts on Alien Singular. That is a good pick. I I love Alien. I've seen Alien probably oh more than a dozen times. I think it's such a good movie. I like Ripley, Sigourney Weaver's character. I think she's a badass, you know, heroine in a time when there wasn't too many like ladies kicking ass on screen. It wouldn't be for a couple more years before we got to meet Sarah Connor with Terminator. So, you know, she is just so cool. I love that they cast or they wrote the part to be gender blind. Like it wasn't meant to be a woman or a man. They just wrote it as Ripley and they just picked the best person for the audition. So like, hell yeah to that. And I think that even though it's, it's more thought of in like a sci-fi circle, this is an awesome horror movie. It, has all the good elements you want. There's a reason why people can't escape. You're in space. Like, reason done. There's, you know, a monster that's stalking people. You don't get to see it very much. It's got all the elements of an awesome horror movie, and I cannot wait to watch it. But, Luke, what do you know about Alien or Aliens or the franchise or anything like that? Yeah, I've seen it, I think, twice. It's so good. I think, forget horror, I would probably, without reflection... But I imagine I would confirm it with reflection. I think this is probably a top fifty all-time movie. Mm-hmm. Ever yeah. forget forget genre? Just any major motion picture. I'm kind of throwing this one in the top fifty of all time, without too much like regret. So I'm really excited. It's so, it's so tense, and it. I mean, it's hard to say it doesn't make the mistake of sequels because it doesn't have the mm. like awareness <laughs> to make the mistake that the sequels made. But this movie is so much more restrained than a lot of the other alien movies Yeah. in in later ones. So there's like there's one alien and there's like one kind of central setting. There's obviously a few little other places, but it's still kind of like really contained. And so the tension Mm -hmm. ratchets up so high because of that, I think, you know, so. I mean, I, I think Alien is a far superior movie to Saw, but that's something the first Saw mm-hmm. movie did where it was like actually kind of not super gory and it was a little bit more of a mystery and a little bit more like mm-hmm. tension based because you don't really know what's behind all this. And yeah. so I think it really plays into the don't just sh- overshow your monster in this first one. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and Sigourney Weaver is amazing. She's She does such a good job. The whole cast does a great job, actually. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't Ian Holm in this movie too? Isn't he the... That is correct. That's Bilbo. Sa- He's the science no officer. No spoilers. He's the science <laughs> no spoilers. officer. Yeah. He's the science officer. No spoilers. So he plays Bilbo I'm... Baggins. He's got yes. a ring. <laughs> I'm sure the angle of science office will be an interesting one to talk about as well in this film. So, Absolutely. And I, I will say as to the sequelization of this franchise, because there has been a million sequels and prequels and back quills and side quills and every other kind of quill you can imagine. Aliens, the direct sequel to it, is one of the rare movies where I'd like the sequel more. I don't think mm. Aliens is as much of a horror movie. It's definitely more right. an out-and-out like action movie. But yeah. 
just it's one of those rare runs where you're like oh the first one was awesome and the second one is somehow better amazing mm. and i don't think it'll be good for the podcast necessarily because it is more of an action adventure movie but that's not to say we won't watch it at some <laughs> point in time and i would definitely not be like upset if someone picked it for their choice for a week but yeah this one is definitely the most like horror i think of the franchise the other ones tend to divulge into like body horror and weird gross out scares and especially the ones in the last few years with prometheus and alien covenant and all those ones where you're just like oh you're making this backstory filled in and it's in my opinion not doing a great job uh, and kind of detracting (laughs) from it so yeah but what are your Uh, thoughts on alien versus predator requiem question (laughs) yeah (laughs) is that the one in the Arctic or Antarctic? I can't remember. Or the one no. in the desert. Alien versus Predator Requiem is, I think, in the desert. The one in the Ar- mm. Antarctic is Alien versus Predator, which okay. is, you know what? I liked Alien versus Predator. I'll say it. I'll I'll stake my reputation on that. But I haven't liked mo- most of the other ones. AVX. Although Predator is another good horror or AVP. movie. AVP. Alien versus Freddy. Let's see it. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Freddy versus Predator. Freddy okay, question. Predator. Jason... Versus Ash. We need we need Royal Rumble, Hell in a Cell, you know, all four crossovers. Okay, question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who would win in a battle? Freddy versus Jason or Alien versus Predator? Which of those two movies would win if they battled each other? <laughs> Alien versus Predator. I can say that without having with with having not seen Freddy versus Jason. So. I ha- I to to my knowledge, Jason Voorhees does not exist yet. <laughs> well, but in so the lore, two I'm pretty on sure... one just doesn't seem fair. Yeah, but I don't think it's Jason true. can die. I feel like the alien and the predator can, can die. So yeah, you got to take the immortality well, variable on board. Maybe we'll do another <laughs> bonus episode where we just do horror monster mashups like that. So if you have them, write in. Anyway, I think we should watch this movie. I think we should get into the trailer, and I think we should watch this movie. And I will say, spoiler alert for anybody: this is a this is a pretty one big one in the zeitgeist so i feel like you know the spoilers already but just in case this is your warning if somehow we are spoiling this movie for you also i'm bad at spoilers yesterday i was driving around with some people we were like vaccinated and and getting some breakfast and i accidentally spoiled what happens in flowers for algernon for this person who was in the middle of listening to it for the very first time so Mm. my track record Uh. on spoilers is pretty bad (laughs) so oops (laughs) Oops, oops. Anyway, the Roman Empire fell. Own. Sorry. Woof. Spoilers. <laughs> Anna Karenina got hit by a train. Oops, another spoiler for that one. <laughs> no, Billy, that's a big spoiler. <laughs> it's a huge spoiler. It's also a little misleading. Anyway. She didn't just get hit by a train. <laughs> yeah, well, eventually she did. But she well, did she walk into a train? There was a, there was a different there's a different verb to use. <laughs> yeah. Dismantled yeah. by a train? Jumped no, in front of it. She, jum- she jumped in front of a train. Okay. Yeah. So she got hit by a train. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, spoilers was in- for Anna it was I guess. Sorry. Oh, it's on purpose. I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> it was an on purpose jump in front of train. Anyway. You know what? We're going to do if that. We need the, as if we need the Tolstoy brigade at our asses now. <laughs> yeah. Those Tolstoy fanboys are real toxic. All right. <laughs> We're going to watch this movie. Uh, check out doesthedogdie.com for the gore of this movie. And yeah, let's get into it. See you in a minute. 
Oh, hi there, listeners. This is Billy jumping in. During the trailer, usually you try to find the trailer from when the movie was released, but wouldn't you know it, this original trailer for Alien is just this noise in the background that you're hearing. So what I've done is I'm going to put in the modern trailer from a YouTube account called Modern Trailers. It's a little bit more narrative and fits our purposes. So if you're a purist and you want to hear the trailers, I mean, I made this rule up. I don't know why I'm sticking to it, but here we are. That's why. Enjoy. Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there. Mother's interrupted the course of my journey. Why? Yeah. She's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise. They have. Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon to repeats at intervals of 12 seconds. SOS. Human. That transmission. Mother's deciphered part of it. It doesn't look like an SOS. What is it? Well, it looks like a warning. Absolutely. Alien is a 1979 science fiction horror film directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon, based on a story by O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. It follows the crew of the commercial space tug Nostromo, who encounter the eponymous alien, an aggressive and deadly extraterrestrial set loose on the ship. Yeah. One correction before we get into it, just doing a little bit of research to what I said at the start, that... I said that Ripley's character was cast unisex. There's a correction. So before people email in, the crew is meant to be unisex. Any of those other people could have been a switch. They weren't cast with a gender in mind, but they did deliberately switch Ripley from being a man to being a woman because Ridley Scott is like, well, why can't she be a, why can't the main character be a lady? And like, let's just do it. So, and goddamn, did Sigourney Weaver do a good job. Oh my God. <laughs> Such a, Oh, I love this movie. So good. I'm gushing about this movie already. And I think I wrote in my in the WhatsApp that this movie started at five stars for me. And yeah, <laughs> just so good. So let's talk about it. Oh, Alex, I want you to go first. You pick this one. This is your choice for this week. First time watching it all the way through. What's your initial thought? This movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it is so good. I mean, I'm really happy that I picked this. If I am to complain about one thing, it's probably that it's a Ridley Scott movie and it is like quite slow for some so of it. So slow. But it's 
it's like it's slow in a good way because it just builds the tension so well and not super horror movie-esque but like enough that you could classify it as a horror movie but yeah everything from you know the characters to the story to the acting the set design especially to you know the alien itself was so good and so well done and i loved how you know the the whole point of the movie was the alien, but you see very little of it. Hmm. And that's what makes it so much extra scarier. Extra scarier. Extra scarier. <laughs> yeah, and like I knew I knew the twists of the movie. I knew like the, the scene when the alien comes out of Kane mm-hmm. and you know, I, I do I did know that Ash was an android, but like seeing it all like all these like just bits of information that I've known being finally connected and like the roadmap being completed and was so cool to me i'm so happy that i finally watched (laughs) this movie all the way through this was such a good movie it's such a good science fiction movie like everything about sciencey about this was so fucking cool and i'm excited to talk about it i love it i love it yeah i like i said at the start i've seen this movie so many times and i will keep watching this movie like if someone was like hey do you want to watch alien my answer would be like absolutely i do it was so fun and there's so many fingerprints of sci-fi from the 70s like that sort of post moon landing the space race is still kind of going on but it's like looking a little bit different and you know it's just like the future what what could the future be this movie is set 101 years from now so it's 2122 is when this movie takes place Uh, i don't know if we'll get there in a century but hey why not but from the very start all the way through the characters i liked them all i had no i had one quibble with lambert but i think that was on purpose just the way she was written and it was a movie where even though i've seen it so many times i remember watching it earlier on i remembered all the characters which i was like oh, you know, this is the thing we had with Event Horizon where we're like, there's all these people and I don't know who they are. By the end of this movie, the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I know who Kane is, I know who Parker is, I know who Brett is. Like, I know I know who everybody is. They're very easy to keep straight in my mind. And yeah, I, this is going to be a real big gush fest <laughs> if I keep going on. So Luke, let's hear your <laughs> initial thoughts. Yeah, this movie is amazing. But I tried to do something a little different this time watching it, which I try to do if I'm going to be try- or attempt to be analytical about a really famous movie, I guess, or book. Right. Is that it, it's it's really easy to get caught up in what in what's called the hindsight bias with a lot of these popular franchises. So like Star Wars or Terminator, it's really hard to remember the original without all the subsequent storylines put in. Right. So, like, remembering Star Wars without Vader being Luke's dad is, like, almost impossible. But Mm -hmm. it was a big reveal for the theater-going audience in 1980 kind of thing, right? Right. So I I tried to imagine watching this movie without all the subsequent Alien storylines and Prometheus and Alien Covenant in mind. Because, obviously, it's easy to do that. Like, it's easy to superimpose the lore of the later movies on the first one which is just a, an error, right? Like, it's a mistake. The original movie doesn't have those things going for it. So I imagined watching this movie as, like, a theater-goer in Shakedown 1979 <laughs> just to get the feeling of what it would be like. And so watching it with that kind of, like, perspective, I would say this is a horror masterpiece. 
I mean, it's going to be echoing what the two of you said, but there's so much tension. It's so restrained because we know the aliens so much from the later movies. You kind of like, again, might want to superimpose. Oh, there's going to be xenomorph all over this film. But like, I think it has probably less than five minutes of screen time. Mm -hmm. And when it is on screen, it's always in those strobe lights or that smoke. So it's really disorienting. So the alien itself is like very much out of sight, which is even scarier, I think, for a monster film. (laughs) All the characters are great. The subplot of Ash being an android with an ulterior motive is simple, but really effective and really creepy. He's just a creepy character. Ian Holm does such a good job of this, like this, this kind of like slime ball, I guess, literally that you, you don't even like, you know, something's off with him, but you don't know what. And then just the setting, the tension, the acting was better than average for a 1970s film. So I was just like, wow, this is, this is like, it's a masterpiece. This is just a horror masterpiece. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree with both of you 150%. And I think we should just sort of dive right in because, you know, there's a lot to talk about this film. So let's go do it. And I'm going to start with the very opening scene, which I really love. And I've always really loved the way the title sequence fades in, in those sort of vertical Mm. and then slanty lines, slowly spelling out, you know, the word alien. And it kind of parallels the fact that you don't actually see the alien for so long and it's so like wide in space and it it just you know there's this big shot of i think there's a planet sort of in the background a really beautiful like matte painting or something for 1979 and it just makes you feel like you are isolated you're out in space there's nobody around to help or hear you scream as the tagline of this movie you know purports (laughs) and (laughs) It just really, really effectively sets the mood. And then right away, I saw, you know, the fingerprints of A New Hope all over this movie and the way the the camera tracks over the ship. And you see it like it's very reminiscent of the way they did it with the Star Destroyers and all the other, you know, the other ships. And so it's just like Star Wars had this like blueprint of sci-fi ships and stuff and then people were like oh that was cool let's do that in our movie and i thought that even some Mm -hmm. of the the models reminded me of the the star wars ships i think the shuttle at the end i was like is that just an a-wing model that they like glued some extra bits to because it looked so much like star wars it like just Mm -hmm. the feel of this spaceship being lived in you know it's a lived in space there's like effects around of people it's got scuffs and dings it's a dirty universe and i was just like oh yeah i'm ready for this movie to go so yeah just Hmm. nothing but love (laughs) nothing but love yeah the the title screen they kind of look like glyphs a little bit Mm -hmm. you know which is perfect for our game of alien hieroglyphics hey (laughs) (laughs) that's a good game that is a great game (laughs) yeah that's a little inside baseball if you know, for if you, know you know yeah if you know you know <laughs> but yeah it was cool it was like I, I wonder if it was like a little bit inspired by the kind of writing from cultures that use glyphs that are allegedly <laughs> aided by aliens in building their buildings <laughs> i thought that would be a funny tie-in if that's the case yeah, maybe yeah maybe maybe but yeah it was cool. i do know that the alien design was and like the ship design and the planet design was all based off 
H.R. Geiger drawings, who did these like really weird, mm. fantastical, sort of grotesque, sort of a melding of machine and bio elements in these in these paintings and it just this movie was like amazing to look at like i feel like this one Mm -hmm. is one now where you can take pretty much any like still and get that made as a print and it'll like look pretty cool on your wall Mm -hmm. and i want one of brett standing under the the rain just for five minutes (laughs) (laughs) why is there indoor rain that's my that was one of my questions (laughs) that's a good question was it just random leaking fluid does he know it's water is it leaking water or is it like leaking like sewage? Why are you standing <laughs> under it and bathing us? I think it was just like condensation. Because there's some lines about how they they're you know they're shutting off the environmental control, so it feels like it was just hot and sweaty, and there's condensation from something. But yeah, he's just standing under. Br- Brett was perpetually sweaty. Always for sweaty. sure. Everyone was sweaty in this movie the whole time. Oh yeah, I w- I want to talk about just like the set design and, yeah, and like the way the spaceships looked. There's something just so old and rugged but so practical looking and it's it's exactly how i imagine a spaceship to look like you know like especially and it's not like in this instance the nostromo is like a it's a cargo rig right so mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be like a luxury liner it's not going to be sleek looking brightly lit lots of comforting things it's like it's rough it's it's very boxy there's mm-hmm. jagged edges everywhere it's dark all the buttons make clacking noises and <laughs> there's lots of you know just beeping lights and it just it looks everything i imagined about a long tough travel in space was like visualized in this ship which was so cool and one thing that like i i, I thought was super neat was just like the insane contrast between how the human designed ship looked versus the alien right mm-hmm. like the, the the ship is so boxy it's straight edges everything's like cut out of i don't know like a like a line cutter and everything and then the alien with the head he's so round and mm-hmm. it's like it's so contrastable as to like this definitely doesn't belong here this definitely isn't a human thing which i thought was like it's more organic almost yeah and it was like maybe it was intentional maybe it wasn't it was probably intentional but i just loved the contrasting look of the alien and even the alien ship like the alien ship was round right mm-hmm. and then the alien's head in the silhouette looked kind of like a dildo <laughs> it's like it's all round and it's different i love it <laughs> yeah i like that the ship was basically like it looked like four skyscrapers glued together just like super it doesn't need to look pretty it just needs to get the job done gives you the sense that this corporation is like yeah we want you to go out and get ore for us and we want to make the most money possible so you're not getting fancy food you're not getting comforts you want like soft edges go fuck yourself you're working for us like this is you know and it just like makes you yeah luke is is the most terrifying part of the movie the the bureaucracy of the company (laughs) always always That's always the real life horror found. Yeah. I wonder with the alien having the mouth that comes out the other end, would that technically be a double ended dildo then? Just a pointier no. end at one what? side. Whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the ship was like, it was just funny. Like, oh, Parker, Brett, you're blue collar. You're just immediately going to make half. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. You get half. What? But because the the economics of this felt a little bit like on the nose, but whatever. It was like not <laughs> the point of the movie at all, clearly. No. <laughs> but it was funny. Like it just it added to the humor of the kind of I guess believability. I mean, 
there was a few lines of dialogue where I was like, these are, or, or to put it charitably, I guess space travel has just become so commonplace that anyone can go now. If you like, mm-hmm. like that culture's version of fixing a ship would be like us, I don't know, carpentry or elect or electrician. Like it's just that default that if you can do this, you can go work on a spaceship kind of thing. Which is funny because right now it's only like the most technically savvy people get anywhere near a spaceship, right? Let alone, yeah. <laughs> let alone like can fly on one. So that's just a funny, a funny assumption about maybe what the world is like a hundred years from now. But I thought it was fun. And I, I would argue that Parker and Brett were probably the most valuable crew members, being the engineers. It's like you're flying through space. It's yeah. like if your machine doesn't work, you're fucked. So. I found them to be the most important crew members, mm-hmm. you know, but there is the, there is the company bureaucracy, right? Sometimes well, the most important frontline workers make the least amount of money and <laughs> are given shit. This is uh, what but, I mean. Like the, the true <laughs> horror of the world is where the people who have ability get told what to do by the people who don't. Yeah. I love that one like line of dialogue when, you know, after they crash onto the planet, and they have to do the repairs, and then I think Ripley's like asking how long it's gonna take, yeah. and they're they're down in the but like in the bottom, and they're just talking to each other, and then he, he's like, just tell her it'll take seventeen hours, and he flicks it, and it's like twenty five hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were hilarious, right? They were so, so good. good. They had such a great a great chemistry together, and the whole crew. I felt you really got the sense that these people have been on this like however many months long trip out to go get all this ore and bring it back to the you know the solar system for for money and profit or whatever and they've obviously spent whatever time it is to get out there however long it took to harvest the ore and then they went back into their cryo sleep for the flight back but when they woke up, you could just tell that there was like relationships. They had friendships and sort of petty disagreements. And basically, like the whole first half of this movie, I was like, this is what Event Horizon tried so hard to do. And, you know, only got about 60% of the way there. Like just the parallels between what the ship looks like from the Nostromo to the Event Horizon and the, the you know, the hypersleep, the colorful cast the of characters. booby pictures in like the yep <laughs> the booby pictures yep and it was just like oh yeah right event horizon really did want to be alien but with hellraiser demons in it and watching the original just is like oh, this is so good this is so good i know last <laughs> week alex when we did night of the living dead you're like I respect the right flyer, but I don't want to like take a ride in it. Like, if, if, <laughs> I think this movie is the opposite, where it's like I would love yeah. to take a ride in this classic car than like a, you know, a, a, a newer one from the '90s that is the Event Horizon. <laughs> so, <laughs> so good. Exactly. Well, you yeah. can also see how much of this movie influenced the genre, the horror genre, in a really positive way in later oh, films, yeah. like just the 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 use of light and shadow. Mm-hmm. and spinning lights strobe lights so like just the disorienting effects of this film mm-hmm. were very present but not overwhelming but they added to the mystery of it all so in in a way like obviously alien wasn't the first movie to do this but just using the setting that the that that the characters find themselves in to add to the experience of the movie for the audience 
So just I especially this time, I really noticed all the lights flashing and all the smoke mm-hmm. in a way I probably didn't before. And like the in the hanging closet like things, just all of the places where Ripley and the others found themselves just physically located in this movie added to the tension of what was happening especially not just with the alien but also when there's like that 10 15 minute segment of the movie before like after we find out ash has an ulterior motive before he's destroyed kind of thing mm-hmm. where he's like locking the door so there's like a claustrophobia element to what's going on here there's a we're in a different paradigm situation so like that's kind of the plot twist it's a very simple plot twist but it's a yeah. kind of fun one and so just like even that little segment where Ash is stronger than Ripley and he's hurting her and he's yeah. using a magazine in space. Like just like this this juxtaposition between again technology and earthiness. It, it's probably like it's one of the more abstract themes of this movie, but it's, I think it's really interesting, especially with Ash himself being like representative of a of a very deep uneasiness let's say the human conscience has with technology and especially artificial intelligence and like subconscious motives and or in tech like subroutines that might be going on that we don't know in (laughs) ai kind of thing or robots and and say what you will about the later films and uh, there's many negative things to say about the later alien movies i think david aka michael fassbender is probably the best part of those and like the mm-hmm. way that they explore the ai angle in the later movies is really interesting so like just uh, that's like a, a, a smorgasbord but this movie just did so many little things to add to the tension and to like the style of how to make a claustrophobic and disorienting horror movie with very little going on mm-hmm yeah, and like the way they did Ash as a character is so well done because like you kind of get a sense right when he opens the door at like the start of the movie to let them yeah. back in. It's like, well, obviously, like the human compassion, like it's tugging on your human compassion. It's like you're not gonna let three of your crewmates just wait out there. Like, like I was totally on on Ash's side when you know Ash opens the door to let Kane, Dallas, and Lampert back in, and then when Ripley is like, no, it's against protocol. I was like, fuck protocol. Your homies are out there dying. You need to let them in. <laughs> so it's it was cool to see them kind of like tug at the human emotion a little bit that way. But then like in retrospect, when you're thinking about it, it kind of gives you a little hint that Ash is a little bit off at that point because, you know, when they get the signal and Ash is like spouting all like, you know, according to protocol, we are supposed to, you know, go... To, go check it out and Mm. that's why mother woke us up early and then it's like if you don't do it you're gonna forfeit all your earnings and like we have to do this it's the law blah 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 or the rules and then like i didn't pick up on this until now but like he breaks that rigid protocol by letting the alien into onto the ship and that's supposed to give you the first hint that something's a little bit off and then he's just like super weird for the whole movie the scene when ripley's talking to mother and he's just suddenly beside her that was like how did you get in there (laughs) and then after that like when he's locking her in that claustrophobia it's like okay something is really off and then you know something is giga off (laughs) when it's like he's sweating milk yeah (laughs) and then he's like i'm just like what is going blitzing out and twitching and flailing around and like gibbering mindlessly you're like what the hell is up with this guy i would have loved to be able to watch this movie not knowing that he was an android that would have been, I think, the greatest experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even still knowing that fact, like seeing how it progressed 
and how the crew discovers that mm-hmm. Ash is an android was such a cool reveal. I really like that 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 whole part of it. Let's uh, we'll keep talking about Ash. Finally, a horror movie with Ash as a decent character. (laughs) (laughs) But the first time I watched Alien, I did not know that Ash was an android. And it is weird where you're like, this this guy is so strange. He's like, one minute he's following the rules, and the other minute he's breaking the rules to be compassionate. And by the end, you, you, you get enough breadcrumbs to realize, like, once you know he's an android, it makes since the next time you watch it but like everything he does is his priority one like protect the organism at all costs he goes to try to take it off of kane's face when he's got the face hugger on him and he doesn't just like try to stab it he's like okay we'll cut like a finger off it's like we'll do the minimum amount of damage like oh no we can't do that you know we we can't space him we can't just get rid of kane now like every single step he does leading up to his uh, betrayal and even like when they're trying to hunt the thing down he's sort of playing both sides and it reminded me a lot of i mean obviously among us was not an influence on alien i think the other way around where (laughs) if you played among us you know there's a trade it's a (laughs) toss-up it's a toss-up could be either way but you know where you're a traitor we talked about this in the thing a lot where you know you you assume everybody's on your side until they aren't, and the fact that like he mm. he's, he has this big heel turn as he's got a super secret robot programming <laughs> nobody look except robots you know secret order only for robots don't look non robots <laughs> he does such a good job and and the whole time you're like what is up with this guy they even give you like a false lead where they're like well he just got transferred two days before so it's like okay maybe he's just like not used to the crew's dynamics and he's a little bit weird or yeah. I love Dash. So good. And even though... So, had to protect his precious, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why shouldn't I keep the alien? So, something just occurred to me. I have a question for you two. So, Considering, like, at, at the end there, Ash gets his head ripped off, and mm-hmm. Parker or Ripley, I can't remember, has to put, like, their hand and their arm in to, like, fix him. Is this the most mainstream movie with a someone fisting an ash hole? Is that what we think? It's definitely the one that's earned the most money. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Sorry, Billy. No, I I agree. Ash is... I think the whole narrative arc with Ash is the most... What I mean when I say trying to watch this with fresh eyes or a 1979 mm-hmm. perspective. Because, again, yeah, you're right, Alex. Like That reveal is so cool because there is something off about him, but you're not sure what. In a kind of... It was done way better and more thoroughly in Get Out, but I see the beginnings of the uncertainty of the horror in Get Out in Ash's character, where oh, interesting. Mostly, only Ripley is like, "Hmm, what's going on with this guy? This like, how do I interpret his motivations?" Even though, because it was it was still the 20th century, motivations weren't incidental yet. No, <laughs> sorry, I guess in the, in the movie it's the 22nd century, so maybe they're not incidental again. I don't know, maybe they, they came back vacillate over the centuries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, that scene where Ash lets the group of three back in while Ripley is arguing, like, no, we have to follow protocol, that's brilliant narrative foreshadowing because it sets... It sets Ash up as the more humane character, and it sets mm-hmm. Ripley up as a more robotic character, right? Ripley is making the robotic utilitarian calculus, and Ash is making the 
pulling on the heartstrings. And so because they're flipped later in the movie, it's it's just such a cool setup. Like you feel like Ash is doing X, but he's really doing Y. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's such a good, that's like the meat and potatoes of a plot twist. And I know it's a subtle plot twist, but it's so, so satisfying and so simple. Like this movie, again, is just so restrained in its tension and its horror and its storytelling. It doesn't give you anything gratuitously until maybe the end of the movie where you get (laughs) Sigourney Weaver's butt crack. (laughs) That might have been a bit gratuitous. So good. I'm not complaining. That was probably the only gratuitous part of this. Like this movie is so so ungratuitous in every other way. Even like Dallas's death, it's just tension, 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 boom, then it's over. And we're like left with the rest of the characters trying to figure out what happened. So yeah, I, I think the whole Ash part was just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Another throwaway line that you think back on, it's like, that's so weird of Ash was when they lose comms with the three that are exploring the alien ship. Mm. And then Ripley's like, I'm going to go warn, like mother interpreted the message. It's it's a like, it's a warning. And she goes, I'm going to go like, let him know. And he's like, what's the point? Mm. They'll figure out yeah. it's a warning by then. He's so nonchalant like, oh, about, it. about it. Yeah. It's just like there's something a little bit off, but like as a first time viewer, if you don't know that he's like an android with ulterior motives, it's like something's off about this character. It's just mind baffling the reveal <laughs> that he's an android and it's like simple. It's like he just has one job and that his job is to protect the alien. But the way they revealed it and the way they developed his character making you feel uncomfortable with him, but not quite sure what it is because he is the science officer and like Dallas puts a lot of trust into Ash even though you find out that, you know, Dallas only knew of Ash two days before they were supposed to launch as well. Uh It's just strange. And, you know, only Ripley has off feelings about Ash. And the whole fact that, like, you know, in this universe, the android robotics is so advanced that Ash had seemingly human emotions and, like, reacted very naturally and was laughing and smiling for some scenes. It's like, there's no way you would ever think that this is not a human. Well, because he, like, the whole first bit before you realize he's a robot he's just played as kind of like an awkward you know sort of bookish focused on the science type of guy and you're like well i know people like that i know people who are you know maybe don't get he's a, a nerd he's a nerd he's a big just fucking say it, nerd. billy he's a nerd yeah. what a fucking nerd you know but like he, he's you could you could read him as just like he's maybe not the most socially adept maybe you know he's he's just got some processing things and he's he's really really loves the science and that's what he cares about to the detriment of his social interactions and people are like there's nothing wrong with him and then it's like whoops he's a robot they should what they should have done is just showed him a a nine square grid and be like can you just quickly show me where the traffic lights are in this picture and you know they would have (laughs) (laughs) they'd have been able to solve it Yeah, yeah, but I like that the whole sort of middle act of this movie until Sigourney Weaver's left on her own is her making suggestions or trying to follow rules and people ignoring her and then people dying as a result. It's like, don't let them in. We have to quarantine them. No, where's your heart? Let them in. Okay, let's freeze Kane (laughs) so we protect him and and get him back. No, we're not going to do that. Like, Like, so many times she's trying to be like, this would be the way to stop it right here. And it's always Ash who is like, well, no, I'm the science officer. I don't think you should 
you know, kill the specimen. We don't want to kill Cain, after all. He is our friend. And just like the amount of times where I was like, just if everyone listened to Ripley, <laughs> they would have all been fine. <laughs> Except Cain. Sorry, Cain. As like a first time viewer, if I didn't know the twist of Ash, I would have thought that maybe the alien organism had possessed him. Oh, like, okay. Kind of was controlling his actions for the best interest of the alien, you know, because like we're not told really anything about the alien at all. Mm-hmm. All we can assume is that it grows super quickly <laughs> and is dangerous. That's all we know about it. We don't know about its intelligence, its motivation. I guess its real motivation is to live, but like you, you don't really know what it wants and how smart it is. And so I, like, I would have been like, oh. Something's off about Ash. I bet Ash is like possessed by the alien mm-hmm, somehow yeah. because you find out that the alien burrows itself into its host. That's that's how Kane dies. But it goes in through the mouth. So I would have thought like, did it take control of Ash's nervous system and is like, you know, yanking the little little strings and <laughs> like dance puppet, you know? But I I, I love I love the reveal of the android. It's just so cool, and like the set design of it when ash's head is ripped off and he's open but then he's talking like clearly it was two things right yeah. like there was a puppet prosthetic and then when robot ash was talking like dead robot ash was talking that was clearly ian holmes head like under a table just like sitting in, in a chair or something yeah <laughs> covered covered in a white liquid substance mm. <laughs> but it looks so cool and oh i'm gu- i'm gushing over that scene that scene was incredible yeah, so was Ash. He was gushing too. Yeah. Do we want to talk about some more of the, the crew? I mean, Ash was the one with the most exciting reveal, and Ripley was obviously our main character, but do we want to run through the other six victims of the the alien, as it turns out? <laughs> sure. Yes. We do. <laughs> All right. Let's start with Kane, then. The first to die. Played by John Hurt, who was awesome. He's a really good actor. Yeah, I mean... Very pivotal to the plot of the movie, right, is how the alien gets on the ship. But, you know, also the first one to die. So you don't really get to learn a lot about this character because Kane either spends, you know, half half the movie dead or the other half of screen time in a coma. <laughs> so it's like probably the least interesting character out of the whole movie. But like was fine. Definitely a driving force you know, more of a plot device than a person, but I, th- I think he was like part of the biology team or a, or like a science team because he was like the most excited to be on this ship and like, you know, checking out the big alien and he goes downstairs and finds all the, the eggs in their little like, you know, incubator and, you know, he's just like so stoked on this discovery. He doesn't stop and think like, huh, maybe I shouldn't touch this random you know, giant egg, and maybe if it opens up, I shouldn't look directly in it before, <laughs> you know. It's moving. It's moving. Let me poke my head in here. Yeah. It's just like, where's your self-preservation, Kane? What are you doing? And, of course... Clearly, Kane has only ever been to petting zoos. <laughs> look, it just wanted a hug. He's a little too reckless, I think, which is the downfall of him and everyone else in this film. And at first... You might think, well, that kind of person is going to get weeded out in a psych evaluation of anyone going on a trip like this because we're in a super dangerous environment. And we we want people who can be a bit restrained and like observe their environment before they go engage with it, obviously. But then it actually makes sense from the plot of the movie because the company or mother or whoever is pulling the strings is going to want someone who is 
quote unquote, of their own volition going to go explore the thing that they want them to bring back anyway. So like it made sense from a plot point of view, but I just thought Kane himself, the character suffered from a lack of moderation in his appetites to his own downfall, which clearly just meant he didn't read his Aristotle. That's what I got out of that. (laughs) Didn't read his Aristotle. No, I don't think he did. Wait. So, so here, here's a, here's a quick question about the lore of Alien. So, right. is it is it safe to assume that the mineral mining was kind of the secondary purpose because the company already knew of this ship sending a distress signal or a warning signal um, because they sent Ash on two days before the the mission was supposed to go. So, I think that is something that they explore more in Alien Covenant and Prometheus, where they have the ship. Prometheus happens I think a couple decades before Alien is supposed to happen and there's a corporation on Earth that whose name I can't remember right now but I think Jared Leto is the big head honcho of it and there's uh, something about it's it, Wayland P- Peter Wayland I think oh yes Wayland is, yeah Wayland is the name Wayland. and it's it's Guy Pierce Jared Leto was the guy in Blade Runner 2049 right I get also Joker yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Guy Pierce, Whalen, yeah, the Whalen Corporation. And so I think they have some stake with this organization. They found this organization. They kind of explain it in Prometheus and Alien Covenant, but it doesn't it doesn't make the mystery more enjoyable for me. Like for me, I love the fact that it's like they found this signal and maybe the corporation found it early and sent them out as like a a blind a sort of way like an alien laundering scheme where you know they can <laughs> go find this alien and bring it back undetected but i don't think it matters too much to the plot <laughs> yeah and the, like to answer i'm it, just, just wondering because like, like clearly ash was put on the ship for the purpose of bringing the alien back yeah, mm-hmm. and you find out ash was put on two days before the mission launched so it's like was the mining trip just like the laundering part of the alien <laughs> I don't know. I, I think yeah. maybe the mining or... trip was the laundromat. <laughs> well, I think it makes sense. I mean, because Ash can't crew a whole ship by itself, I guess. Right. Like they need a crew right. to go send the ship to where it needs to go. I guess the technology is at the state where they can't just like Auto-pilot send Ash it. in a pod or whatever. So they obviously have to have a backstory for the crew and mm-hmm. A sensible backstory is a very economically lucrative endeavor where you're going to get a lot of money if you do it. So I think, right. or only, or only half, or yeah, only or half. Only half. <laughs> so yeah, I think the answer to your question, Alex, is that even though it's kind of clumsily explained in the in the more recent Alien movies, yeah, the the corporation knows about the alien. The whole bringing in the minerals is a red herring to get the ship to where the distress call is, so that yeah. they can bring the alien back. And okay. as we read in the in the MS DOS message from Mother, <laughs> crew is expendable. Crew is expendable. <laughs> crew is expendable. I, yeah, I, and just back to your point about the like training and the selection process of you know the the crew of these ships. I think if we want to take it as like this business wants maximum profits in mind, you know, paying for a psych evaluation for so many people that's going to cost you a lot more money. That's going <laughs> to cut down your bottom line. Like you're gonna, this ship True. was yeah. cutting so many corners, so they were probably just like, hey, we need <laughs> six people to come on this ship. First six, hop on, and they're like, yeah, great, <laughs> we'll go. 
or maybe they did do their work. Like this is like even grander scheming is like they did their work. They did psych evaluations for all their employees. And then out of all, like for this specific mission, they're like, which six are the most naive that we can send out on this mission? Because we've already done tests on all our employees. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, they fucked that <laughs> up. Which ones, are the, which ones are the yellow greens, you know? <laughs> they, they fucked that one up too then, Alex, because Ripley was super like... Skeptical. Yeah, Ripley was red. They <laughs> fucked up. Or she she just didn't take her test seriously and they sent her red out there. Yeah. She was the real red herring. Take <laughs> I can't imagine anybody not taking a personality test seriously. Can you? <laughs> well, I can depends on how many times you have to take it. <laughs> I can definitely imagine groups of people taking a personality test way too seriously. <laughs> You got some imagination there, Luke. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> any more any more thoughts on Kane aside from him being just like a host? The acting job of Kane when he was on the table dying mm-hmm. was like that was really scary and startling and just like oh. I did not know a human was capable of making those kinds of noises, but what do you know? Yeah, it's really effective. One of the alien behind the scenes facts I do know. Or maybe I, I shouldn't say I know that I'm like 95% sure this is true is that Ridley Scott didn't tell any of the other actors what was going to happen in that scene. Oh, so cool. the filming of their reaction is in a sense kind of authentic because they didn't know that the what was going to happen was his chest opens up and an alien explodes out like they in the script. It probably said something like. Kane writhes on table dot 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 and then something they they know something's gonna happen but they didn't know it would be that kind of thing and so it was like a surprise. it might have been like Kane rise on table and dies yeah 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 and so allegedly uh, I'm I'm hedging it behind the word allegedly but I'm like fairly confident in this is that the reaction of all the other actors during that scene was like what what this is what happens in this scene <laughs> so that was kind of cool just like ah and like the squib exploding and the blood spurting out and catching lambert in the face where it's just like oh god <laughs> that's so gross mm-hmm. it looked like she was totally caught yeah. off guard all right let's talk about lambert let's talk about lambert she was the most barbara like of all the cast members especially towards the end she that's if you haven't listened to night of the living dead folks go back and listen but she was just like screaming Lost her head constantly in a fight. You know, she just... There's only two women in this whole movie. And, like, to have one of them be like, Yeah, this this lady is awesome. She's so good. And then have the other one be just like this damsel in distress stereotype was just like, oh, I don't like you, Lambert. And I want to like you. <laughs> but <laughs> She was kind of useful, though, right? Like, she's the navigator. She's able to be like, Hey, we're not we're not close to Earth. And, like, do my little space calculations and calculate my astronomical units and you know we're 10 months out it's going to be a bit of a trip back i I did like that each crew member did have their usefulness right like Mm -hmm. it it wasn't like you know in event horizon it was like you are lamb fodder number one (laughs) two three but this one it's like because there's so few characters like there's only seven crew members each crew member actually needs to be useful Mm -hmm in a practical sense for this ship to function and for them to survive out in space. So it's like she actually had a useful skill and she delivered when that skill was needed and clearly fighting aliens and reacting instantly when something bad is happening wasn't her forte, but she was still able to provide use, uh, usefulness to the crew in general. 
for for what she was hired. For. She wasn't trained in. But alien you know, when you're in space, yeah. you gotta you gotta be able to diversify your your skill portfolio. It's true. <laughs> I did like how she mentioned that they weren't even close to the outer rim, and I was like, "Oh, we're gonna see Tatooine in this movie. Nice." <laughs> They're gonna be so long till they yes. get to Coruscant. That's <laughs> just more Star Wars references, people. I... But yeah, Luke, what about what did you think about Lambert? I mean, I think she was the least interesting of all the characters, but she wasn't zero interesting, I guess. She did kind of in the fight or flight or freeze. She opted for freeze, which I think sure was did. to her and Parker's detriment. I think <laughs> this is a meta observation, but I couldn't help but notice that her name was Lambert and the other guy's name was Parker, which are two very prominent names in the Insidious franchise. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I felt another like little enjoyment of Lee Winnell's noticing of Alien. I, I mean, it could be a coincidence, but I feel like someone as horror savvy as he is is gonna like intentionally throw these little easter eggs in for people who know the history of horror so that was kind of fun but lambert i didn't dislike her i actually disliked dallas more than her dallas was my Mm. least favorite character in the movie but i thought she was kind of just she was a navigation person who when it got really stressful was not the most useful person (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's talk about Dallas then, since you brought him up. Well, actually, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Like I, I, I kind of looked into your thing, Luke, about the chess scene. They did know that the creature would be bursting out of Kane, mm-hmm. but they didn't know that there would be blood. Oh, okay. okay. So, so I was like, I was a quarter right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what's actually what interesting is, yeah, the one who played Lampert, Veronica Cartwright. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you, Wikipedia. This is what it says for that scene. When the creature burst through the tress- chest, a stream of blood shot directly at Cartwright, shocking her enough that she fell over and went to- into hysterics. <laughs> oh, God. According to Tom <laughs> Skerritt, what you saw on camera was the real response. She had no idea what the hell happened. All of a sudden, this thing just came up. The creature then runs off camera, an effect accomplished by cutting a slit in the table for the puppeteer stick to go through and passing an air hose through the puppet's tail to make it whip a boat. <laughs> so... Yep. <laughs> Lampert's reaction right. for that scene was 100 percent okay, genuine. Okay, so cool. So that's the that's the fragment of the story I I caught on to. Yeah, kind of reminds me of in Two Towers when you know Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli find the Urukai horde that the Rohirrim killed yep. as they're looking for Merry and Pippin, and they mm. find their belts. So just a little trivia thing in that scene, Aragorn kicks an orc helmet. Like and it shoots down and like there's a great camera shot of that helmet just flying by the camera. Yeah. But in the scene that's actually cut into the film, Viggo Mortensen, who plays Aragorn, he actually breaks his toe kicking that helmet in that shot. So he lets out this scream. And Peter Jackson was like, wow, this scream is incredible. He's like, <laughs> actually, like, he's feeling so much pain for the supposed death of Marion Pippin. But in reality, he was breaking his toe in the process of that scene. And it was like screaming in pain. Yeah. So I just, I love when like these scenes are filmed Mm. and things that aren't supposed to happen, happen, but they get captured in and they're like immortalized in the film. And it's like, you know, Lampert's like hysterics were real. (laughs) Viggo Mortensen breaking his toe was real, but it's like, it's captured on film. I love those kinds of little (laughs) trivia moments in movies. Yeah. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. And thank you. uh, Two Towers extended edition special features. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. I watched that DVD probably 
as many times as I've watched Alien. So many times. So many times. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let since you brought him up, let's talk about Dallas, Luke. Well, I thinking about it, I think it makes sense in the plot of the movie because again, this corporation, this what we find out later is the Wayland Corporation, but unnamed in this film. They're going to want someone like Dallas in charge of the ship. But before you know that, I think he's a good guy. Like, he seems like a decent person. But he just felt a way, way, way too guileless to be the captain of a ship. Like, he just was kind of impetuous, not even a little bit understanding of the safety protocols that Ripley is very sensically <laughs> bringing to bear. In, <laughs> yeah. In the, like, he, he just seemed kind of... He seemed like he was bending at any sort of thing from Ash. He had no kind of sense of the purpose of keeping everyone safe and keeping mm-hmm. a cool head on his shoulder. He was a little bit too easily swayed by his emotions. And I just think maybe the best comparison of like the opposite, and you'll know this way better than me, Billy, but like everything that Dallas was, John Luke Picard is not. It feels like, <laughs> like John Luke Picard is just oh, yeah. like this really wa- really wise, takes on all perspectives, makes hard decisions, isn't just like led by the flaring up of emotion inside of him in any given moment. And so it just felt a little bit like really this is the guy in charge of your mission. He's not a terrible person or anything, but he's yeah. just not the person that if again it works for the plot in a psych evaluation this is not your captain this guy is too easily swayed yeah and he's like he you're right he he's totally just like a company man he's just paid to follow orders and doesn't question you know what's happening he's like well you know this isn't my decision it's the science officer's realm so i'll let ash decide what we do with this thing that has already proven to one bleed acid that can eat through multiple hulls of a ship. Like that's your, that's your jurisdiction there, Dallas. You know, he, he's just such a like toe the line company man that I feel like, you know, you're right. If they are selecting people who aren't going to question the motives of a killer robot, Captain Dallas is like captain of the year. But yeah, I think Captain Picard would have handled the alien threat a lot better. (laughs) Because he's a better captain. I think any of the Starfleet captains would have done a better job than Captain Dallas. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, I like that. Just the one scene where we get him on his own and he has to go talk to Mother. uh, Just to to kind of circle back to like the technology of the ship. And it kind of fits with Captain Dallas because that's the scene he's in. But the the room that Mother's in is just all these like white paneled walls with blinky lights and then just the teeny tiniest little cathode ray screens for readouts and i really love that that was like okay this is 1979 this is where we are this is the best we can do and it's such a letdown when movies that happen in the same universe but earlier have better technology because the film was made later and so there's better like flat screen or hologram stuff or they can do more with visual effects and it's just I loved seeing the late 70s, big <laughs> clicky button, small readout, you know, black screen, green text <laughs> for for dealing with Mother. Yeah. And Captain Dallas was 
Yeah, he was just a, a nothing captain who was like, just follow my orders. Like, come on, you know I can't say anything about it. I'm just following my own orders. Can't everyone just do what I'm saying, please? Like, And he's not willing to <laughs> try very hard. But you know what? He, he does sacrifice himself. He goes down to like look for the thing in the air ducts, which is... I thought we were watching Alien. What? Hmm? What? The thing was like episode... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> three or six... Five. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I did like how he went down with the flamethrower in the air ducts to take out the, or to try to kill the xenomorph. And that also made me realize that this movie is way less gory than I thought it was going to be. Like the goriest scenes are definitely Kane on the table and then Ash getting, <laughs> you know, milk sprayed all over him. But other than that, there's not a ton of blood. Like I was expecting there to be way more, and I think there are way there is way more in later Alien movies. But his death was just like, whoop, he's gone. You just never see him again. Yeah, I mean, he had a heroic end. He did. I mean, it was kind of, it ended up being pointless, but it was heroic, and it, but it also was like, they were only in this position because of his, like, equivocating and lack of a backbone. So right, like I think of any individual other than ash dallas is the most responsible for the situation that everyone is in because of his inability inability to be the leader that they needed so maybe there's a lesson there i don't know (laughs) maybe (laughs) what are your thoughts on the captain alex dallas was a a good character i think like a lot of what you two talked about dallas would would have made a really good number two Mm. you know Mm. like the redeeming qualities that I see from Dallas was he was always like willing to be there like front line, you know, like he was the one that went out to explore the alien ship with Lampert and uh, Kane. He was the one that volunteered to go into the air vent mm-hmm. to fight the alien when they're, you know, doing surgery on the alien and they realize like the the blood is acidic and is like going through the hull. He's doesn't hesitate. He instantly springs to action. That's true, yeah. So I think, like, he's the kind of person that is, like, very practical and, like, quite forward-thinking, but only when it's a matter of not making a tough decision. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. When the stakes are low, he's great. He's got a great head about him. Yeah. Well, you put him in the number two position with someone that knows what to do for those tough decisions and tells him to do it. He's going to do it to the best of his ability. Mm -hmm. That's, That's kind of how I thought that dallas was as a character hmm. he did definitely didn't make the best decisions but when he made a decision he did it to the best of his ability except for that one time where he was like as a science officer like that's out of my jurisdiction i'm gonna let ash handle it all that was that was pretty lame on <laughs> dallas's end it's like no you're the captain like have a fucking backbone but yeah well that i think like the the relationship between ash and dallas is what i mean where he had like no guile or no like skepticism because it's like, oh, yeah, I knew this one science officer for five years, but two days before we left, they gave me ash. Whatever. Just how it goes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, what? Yeah. You know what? No suspicion? Maybe Dallas, like 15, 20 years ago, a brand new space cadet and has rose up in the ranks to become a captain was like the best of the best. But then the bureaucracy of this company just wore down on him. And, you know, he (laughs) suffered a little bit of burnout and a little bit of compassion fatigue and eventually just didn't give a shit. He's like, all right, I'll do it. It always comes back to bureaucracy. 
There was a lot of scenes where he was making melty beads. I did notice that was interesting. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's a good point, though, Alex. Yeah, I didn't find Dallas Dallas to be like a malicious character. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, he didn't on purpose make all these bad things happen. It It was a combination of, you know, maybe not having all the perfect qualities of a captain and also maybe a bit of, you know, like... I'm doing what the company tells me. They pay me. Like, I'm kind of burnt out of this job, so I'm just going to do what I do. But, like, when things are happening to his, that could affect his crew, like, you know, there's an alien in the event. I'm going to go first. Yeah. Oh, no, there's this acid blood that's breaking through a hall. I'm going to have to run and stop it and check it out right away yeah. because, like, I know the consequences of what will happen if, you know, our hull, our hull is destroyed. It's tough because a lot of the, the hard decisions he made was decisions he made that Ripley didn't agree with. Yeah. So he was able to make those hard decisions, but we, I think we as the viewer we're, are supposed to feel less on his side because we're obviously on Ripley's side for a large chunk of this movie. And he doesn't go against Ash, but he goes against Ripley. Mm-hmm. Like when, when he asks like how the repairs are going, she's like, well, we still need to do a couple things. Like these decks aren't done. Our backup power isn't set yet. He's like, I don't like, care. We're, we're taking it. We're getting out of here. So, like, he's able to make those kind of decisions, but, like, at the expense of going against Ripley, which is probably why there's a little bit of a sour taste in most audiences when they oh, think sure. of Dallas. But I don't really necessarily think a lot of it was his fault. It was just the circumstances he was in and maybe not well, being completely fit to be the captain. There was one that was definitely his fault, and it had a major consequence, which was bringing him and Kane and Lambert back on the ship when he knew the protocol wasn't to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he knew. Ripley reminded him, like, you know, the pro- like this is the protocol. You need to quarantine. And that's what I mean, where I think his emotion got the better of him. He's like, Kane's going to die. And that's like, okay, we get it, but you're a captain in outer space. (laughs) You know the dangers. There are four people on that ship who haven't been exposed to whatever's happened to Kane, and that kind of becomes the nucleus to protect. So you need to, we have quarantine protocols. You need to do that. And he is just, he's not even dismissive of that. He's like angrily being like flippant and no, we go back on the ship let me in. What the fuck are you thinking, Ripley? So yeah. like that decision specifically, because I think you're right, Alex. Like yeah. most of it is fair enough. Most of it is very much like him being a a, a pretty good fair weather captain and yeah. like <laughs> exactly. a good delegator and 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 like a pretty good personality, like someone who is easygoing enough to like bring up stuff with. But the fact that it was so clear that Ripley was making the right decision in that scenario for the survival of the other four on board plus like who know like they have a procedure if kane dies that's a tragedy but seven people dead is worse than one person dead in this again yeah. utilitarian calculus and we have to i make. think the math checks out <laughs> yeah. yeah the math checks out and just because i i think i could even boil down my annoyance to dallas to that one scene that one scene i was like dallas come on dallas yeah fair Bro. enough <laughs> that's the tough decision also a 24-hour quarantine easy like come on (laughs) yeah like that (laughs) that is not the end of the world no (laughs) but yeah he does he does break the rules well i think we should talk about parker and brett and maybe just because they were definitely comic relief characters they were 
the blue collar workers. Uh, I know I realize I'm falling in the trap of lumping them both together when <laughs> everybody else got their whole full segment. We're giving them each one half segment to the show, <laughs> but <laughs> it's appropriate. Yeah, let's go. You know, but I like them both. When I lived in Korea, there were a lot of stores that had English names, but the grammar was just a little off, or the pronounce, or the or the phrasing was a little off. So it was funny to a, a natural English speaker's ear. So there was a there was a coffee franchise in Korea called a twosome place, <laughs> and uh, and I just feel like that approach, like they're just a really good twosome. They're a they're, they're a twosome. twosome to talk about. They're a good they're a good comedy duo. They you know they they're always seen together until they you know split up and then sorry we lose poor Brett as he's looking for the cat but just like other you know speaking again of lord of the rings just like mary and pippin they're like a comedy duo that's all together and and have a lot of heart and have a lot of the like laughs in it to once again reference star wars r2 and 3po just like that kind of dynamic where they they're clearly they work together for a long time they like each other a lot but they are gonna like snipe and gripe at each other and there is a lot of love between the two guys I really like that scene where Ripley's getting mad at Brett and he's trolling her by just answering right to everything. Like, you know, you just you just say right because it annoys me. Right. Like <laughs> he just like keeps going on and on answering. Right. And then like Parker asks him a question. He's like, yeah, right. Right. It's just I right. thought that was that right. was great. Right. Yeah. Those two are fun characters. Good plot drivers and just like they give the ship a spicy dynamic. You know, everyone seems kind of like by the book and a little bit like good table side manner you know like good good dinner conversation and mm-hmm. then you have brett and parker talking about like whatever the hell they want because you know they they clearly have this work really good working relationship and a good friendship as well but you know they they also probably are the ones that like talk a lot about like what they would wish would happen out of this company because mm-hmm. like they come up like we need to discuss the <laughs> bonus situation yeah. Like that gets brought up a bunch, so I don't know. I just I, I like I like those two characters. They were a lot of fun. I liked it, Parker, especially when he's like, "No way, we're not going to go check out this like distress call. That's not my job. I, you paid me to fix the ship. I'm going to fix the ship." And then they're like, "Parker, if we don't go check it out, we lose all of our money." He's like, "Let's go check out this distress call, y'all. Like, I think this is a really good idea." <laughs> and just like, you know what? And that's <laughs> you're motivated by money, but all right, at least you're honest about it. <laughs> That scene was great, too, because Ash reminds Parker of a clause in his contract about, like, having to follow distress signals that clearly the implications Parker didn't read that part of his contract or just skimmed over it. And it yeah. just made me think of, like, all the terms all the terms of service all of us sign up to on, like, yeah. Apple or Facebook or whatever we sign up. It's like, we don't read Actually, there's a hilarious South, there's a great South Park called the Human Sentai Pad. Where (laughs) Kyle gets the centipede from the human centipede. He's the middle one. And he's Uh, like, I didn't sign up for that. It's like, yes, you did. It's right here. in your terms of service. Yeah. Yeah, And everybody else is like, wait, Kyle, you didn't read the terms of service? service? (laughs) I've actually seen that episode of South Park. It felt... It felt like Parker and Brett, if they had survived this movie, would have worked at maybe starting a union for workers' <laughs> rights. It might have, yeah. yeah. Why well, they don't were great. we get they were the, a They full were the share. great comedy. Yeah. They are great comedy. And also... They're hilarious. Harry Dean Stanton is Brett. Just... That guy was a legendary actor. He's been... In, he was in so many things. I think he just recently died. He was... Wow. 91. He was 91? I don't know. 
I thought he was way older than that. But anyway, he was just like an old guy in so many movies that he was one of those that guy actors where it's like, oh, it's that guy. And, you know, just hats off. Hats off to Brett. You deserve your moment to stand under the weird indoor rain. Take your hat off. Then put your hat back on and stand under the rain somewhere. You know what's funny? All the scenes that they were looking for the cat. What the hell's the cat's Jonesy. name? Lewis? Jonesy. <laughs> Jonesy. Jonesy. <laughs> like, you just hear the faint meow. My cat was meowing at the same time. So I was like, wow, I didn't realize I had surround sound. <laughs> I, that scene, though, it was just a weird foolishness to let Brett go by himself to go find. Like, they're trying to find this alien that they know is on the ship. It's like, okay, just go by yourself, find the cat now. It's like, really? <laughs> yes. One of the bad decisions of the. Like, I thought the crew made. For the situation that they were put in, a lot of the time they made good decisions. Like, we need to kill this. We're going to use flamethrowers. We're going to use a net. And, like, we're going to explode the ship. But then the worst decision they made was to split up. Like, never split up. Never split the party. Never split the party. You know what? Maybe we all go and find this cat and then make sure he's locked up. Because, you know, they're they're tracking this thing. And they're like, well, if, if the cat is back again, it'll just pick up on the little, like proximity detectors that we have and it's like so then you just have found the cat or maybe the alien and either either or you've like mission accomplished you find the cat all together take care of him and then you can keep going and looking for this alien that's around so yeah that was one of the things in this movie where i was (laughs) like this movie loses a little bit of points and there's also really no reason for there to be a cat on this ship it's like yes in the high sea sailing days you might have a cat or a little dog on the ship to catch rats. But are there rats in space mining ship? Like, why is why is the cat there? Even though I'm like, yeah, Jonesy, you're the best. Like, cats forever. There's really, like, there's no reason for the cat to be on the ship aside from them having a cat on the ship. Well, look, Billy, the Wayland Corporation isn't totally heartless. They have a therapy cat on board for Oh, long. that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's an emotional support animal. Okay. I didn't exactly, even think of that. <laughs> exactly. But then, again, are we supposed to assume it was in a cryo-freeze with the people? I guess so. <laughs> I think she just puts it in, like, the one... She's like, okay, in you go, yeah, Jonesy. She does, yeah. You're going to hang it at my feet for the next ten months. <laughs> They'd love it. But <laughs> I actually put down Jonesy as a character to talk about because the scene where Brett is getting ripped to pieces, it's read that he's being killed by the alien, and they just cut to the cat just completely staring and not giving a fuck. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I own a cat. I've had cats my whole life. This is exactly what a cat would be like. Supernatural. It's not going to give any cares. And then also later when she has to like jam him in the cat carrier. I don't know if you've had this experience with Maroki, Alex, but that's very in line with all the anytime time. I got to put cat John Snow and it's just like, get in there. Close the lid before you can squirm <laughs> back out. <laughs> I loved how when she got into the shuttle, she like, like just threw the cat carrier in as well. It's like, yeah, he is in there, but you know, this is a life or death situation. Your ship's about to explode in a minute. Cat's comfort can come secondary to that. Yeah. Uh, that's why that's why PETA was all over this movie. That's why. That's why, that's why. <laughs> Any more about Brett or Parker? No. They were just there to be funny jokesters. I did like that. Parker had some humanity, and he was trying to get Lampert to get out of the way before he flamethrower, yeah. but she wouldn't, so he's like, he didn't do it. That's true. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're not, yeah, okay. You you do think of others before yourself, and, you know, ultimately that's why you died, but 
Good for you, Parker. When push comes to shove, he's a good dude. I guess that leaves just Ellen Ripley as our last character. And boy, oh boy, Sigourney Weaver. Like, talk about a star-making role. Yeah. Let's talk about her. What a great lead character. The best. So good. I enjoyed she wasn't like the ostensible lead character until about two thirds of the way through the movie. She mm-hmm. was like, it was kind of an ensemble, it was like an ensemble movie for the first two acts. And then in the third act, she really becomes the protagonist of the film. And again, watching it with like imagining you'd never seen it before in the theaters in 1979, like that's just a really interesting way to make a movie. I'm sure there were movies like that before, but I can't really think of one where you have this like, it's it doesn't seem like a star-led movie or a single protagonist-led movie until like the last 35 40 minutes like she's an integral integral part of the story like everybody else is throughout the film but i wouldn't say she's more important than like dallas or ash or kane is in the first act of the movie right like they they have maybe more screen time than her or they're talking more and more lines of dialogue, like they're developing the plot more than she is, but she's interacting with it still. Mm-hmm. And then because she's like the last living senior officer and then the last living person, like it's just, it's a really cool way to make a main character movie, I think. And I think that yeah. there's somewhat of like a stunt casting aspect in it, because I don't know what the star power of everybody else in the movie was, but I think that Tom Skerritt was more of a known name in 1979. So again, it was kind of a defiance of your expectation where it's like, oh, this character is the the movie star, the, the, the name draw. Like he's, I think he was a little bit more famous and the fact that he doesn't actually make it and you let this sort of relative nobody actress no offense to Gourney Weaver, I know you're listening, but, you know, she was just, like, an up-and-coming actress. <laughs> She's got no vote, Billy. She's got oh, no vote. Thank God. Thank God. We loved you in Cabin in the Woods. She... <laughs> and having her be the, the final girl, I actually read an article where they said she was, like, horror movies' first final girls, and then I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wait a minute. Halloween came out the year before, and Jamie Lee Curtis was all over that movie as a final girl, so I don't know the veracity of that, but just the idea of, like, the, the, the final girl surviving, and she does it while you know she she keeps her head she manages to get all the jobs done and saves the cat and then still gets away in the end so it's like good job good job Scorny weaver and i just loved i just loved her she didn't have much dialogue but she was competent her lines were really well done and i could really feel the tension when she's being trapped by ash in the in the room when she's sort of figuring out his ulterior motive when it's suddenly like oh it's not just an alien that's trying to kill us all there's also this motherfucker i just thought that was quite good well done she was also the only character that for lack of a better term deserved to survive this encounter (laughs) (laughs) not not deserved that's the wrong word luke is the arbiter of fate it's for lack of a better one (laughs) yes yeah i think she was the only person in this movie that showed any sort of leadership capabilities or any sort of clear thinking in a crisis. You could tell when it was just the four of them left or three of them, I get one of four because Ash hadn't betrayed them yet. There's Mm -hmm. just four of them left alive. Parker, like Lambert is kind of in hysterics. Parker is agitated and he's really just ready to go do anything. And Ash is quiet because he hasn't, we he's a traitor, but, or, or has a different agenda, but we don't know that yet. So like, 
even though the dialogue is kind of clunky because it's still the 70s, she's the only one who's like, no, we still have to do this methodologically because mm-hmm. otherwise we're going to fuck up other parts of the ship that we need, right? Like she's thinking right. in a more kind of holistic way about even the quarantine aspect, like, fuck, yeah, I don't want Kane to die, but we have these procedures for this exact situation and yeah. we are negligently irresponsible if we don't follow them. So she had a thread through her character the whole movie that made it maybe not deserve to be the one who survives, but the one most likely to, because she actually pays attention to the fail safes in crisis situations, which I think right. is a good leadership quality that Dallas didn't have kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think most of the crew would have survived if she was the captain from the start. Yeah. That's like, those are the kinds of qual like her character. Those are the kind of qualities you want in a leader. Like, Someone who will make those tough decisions that, you know, sometimes a lot of people won't agree with, but, you know, at the end of the day are going to be for the betterment of everybody else. Or she's thinking so far ahead that other crew members can't fathom at that moment, right? It's like, yes, I'm doing this. It sucks, but, like, you're going to thank me in 24 hours. (laughs) When we're all still alive eating spaghetti, we'll be fine. (laughs) You'll thank me. Yeah. She's so good. I... And and part of the reason why, you know, I love the female lead in an action movie is largely borne out in her role here. And then later again with Sarah Connor and the Terminator and, you know, Katniss Everdeen later on, (laughs) just like the competent. (laughs) And don't forget, don't forget Princess Leia two years before this one. Never heard of her. Is that from (laughs) a movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Leia rocks. Number one. Don't you remember? Princess Leia from Rogue One. Oh, right. She's so good in that movie. She said the word hope, turned around, looked perfect. Yeah. Flawless. You know how some some actors have a wooden performance? Well, hers in that one was not wooden at all. <laughs> all right. Let's talk a little bit about the xenomorph, the alien, and the design of this creature and the just thoughts around this threat. Mix alien. Just a great like antagonists, you know, outside of obviously Ash, like a- the alien is the, the, the baddie, the one that we're supposed to root against the one that's hunting everyone down. And I love like how little they showed of the alien. Mm-hmm. That That's probably my favorite part about this. And I think that's what really makes this a horror movie and not as much of an action movie. The horror is never seeing it entirely knowing it's on the ship, but never, knowing exactly where it is or what it's capable of other than you know it is capable of killing us i think that that scene of dallas going through the vents and you just seeing like the little blips on lampert's little tracker like the dots of where dallas is and of where the alien is that is cinematic masterpiece and that's horror masterpiece as well Mm -hmm. it feels like the security camera footage in ring (laughs) right or was it was it the grudge? I think it was the grudge. Yeah. You know how like in the grudge she runs out of the bathroom and the security guard goes to check in and she's watching on the security screen that like the grudge is like following the security guard out. The blip was that but so much better. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you know that like you as a viewer and the crew, I guess, are aware that the alien is on the ship and aware that the alien is capable of killing. So it's like they know it's a threat, so they that's why they're trying to destroy it. So but then, like, just, like, the tension of the blip, the the two blips, Lampert kind of freaking out, Dallas not seeing anything, but 
everybody knowing mm-hmm. that the alien is in there and next to Dallas was such a good scene. And then you just see the alien for a second and it's it just, just like, cuts ah. to the next thing where they're just sitting there being like, yeah, all we found was the flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. And it's amazing how they could convey, you know, a blue screen with a grid and then two dots of light is like super tense. And you're just like, look at it objectively. I actually asked myself, I was like, how can Lambert even read what this map is saying? It just looks like an empty game of Battleship. And But there's still so much tension in the fact that this dot, we established this dot is the captain, and then there's another dot. And you're like, oh no, the dots are going to touch. Ah. And it's just so effective. I also really liked how the alien was able to camouflage in the ship. Like there's all these like, droopy wires and pipes and tubes and the alien is basically like a collection of segmented pipes and tubes and fingernails and when he's hiding on the shuttle at the very end and you just get that scene of Ripley sort of getting ready and you see this like this thing in the background that just looks like it's part of the ship until you realize like wait a minute that like part of the ship looks like the top of the alien head and then you see it like its hand move out and it's like wedged itself into that corner of her ship I was just like, oh, that's really scary. And then I noticed that, to bring it back into the insidious averse that the alien and lipstick-faced demon must have the same nail tech, because they have, like, <laughs> similar kind of manicure going on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there you go, another Lewa now. There's a lot of money to be made for estheticians in these horror movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just hand over fist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the alien was essentially like a streamlined survival machine. Some sort of pinnacle yes. of evolution, which is kind of what Ash was implying or talking about in his death scene there was like, yeah, I admire it. It's managed to survive in this rugged condition and become basically like a perfect specimen for survival. And that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a wild animal that has no liabilities except outer space and, and intense jet fuel heat. Or I don't know. Like... <laughs> yeah. We hope. <laughs> Jet fuel can melt alien beam. Yeah. Turns out. Spaceship fuel. Yeah, I like that Ash at the end when they're like, you're going to die. And he's like, oh, give me some last words. Let me just have my last words. I don't like your chances. And then he just like smiles at them and dies. It's like, oh, what a dick move. But they have his sympathies. They have his sympathy. You have my sympathies. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. You're going to die, though. Later. I'd peace out, but my hands are broken, so I can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, knowing nothing about the later movies in the franchise, like, at all, the alien was so fucking cool, cool. and I loved how it wasn't overused. That's what really kept it tense. It did not suffer from the horror movie trope where you see this mysterious demon, villain, alien, whatever, so many times that it loses its effectiveness, Mm. and I think that was what was so great about this movie. Yeah, and you only see the full alien... At the very end, when she blasts it out of the airlock, and, you know, then it drifts into the exhaust port. And that's the really only time you get a very clear start. Just below the main port. Just below the main port. You know, you just get the the very clear distinction of the full body shot of the alien, plus it's, like, contrasted by it being all shiny black beetle carapace against the, like, very light gray of the ship, whereas every time in the ship it's, like, a black creature on a black background and you can just kind of see like the outline the claw the little bitey mouth part just such a cool design yeah iconic silhouette very iconic silhouette you know what you're looking at 
Whew. And it is not a dildo. It's not a dildo. <laughs> no matter what Luke tells it you. It could be. Look, I guarantee you, need a you big orifice, but I guarantee you that there are alien dildos made. I'm sure for there sure. Are. Everything can be a dildo if you're brave enough. <laughs> <laughs> wow. On that note, any final thoughts? Let's talk about alien? Should we do aliens next week? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I know we've referenced it. This is not only an alien thing. This is like basically any sci-fi movie from the 70s and 80s. Just like the imagination of future technology that's still so <laughs> retrograde in comparison. Like the the interface in Alien was usurped by like, certainly by 1995 Windows. <laughs> like the graphic yeah. interface. <laughs> Let alone like yeah. other stuff you yeah. saw in the 80s. So like even... Like at the maximum, it took sixteen years for real life technology to be beyond what they were doing in Alien. <laughs> and, yeah, I love it. And it's just like this is not a critique of the film. It's just funny to see like futuristic conceptions of the past. It's it's a, it's almost like a museum a little bit of mm-hmm. what the futurists the best they did in their time, you know? And mm-hmm. obviously there's movies from even further back, like the fifties or forties that have a futuristic bend. There's even a movie from the twenties, nineteen twenty seven, I think, called Metropolis, which has like a futuristic Ooh, yeah. perception. And so it's really cool to think about I mean you can even get this going all the way back to like H. G. Wells or Jules Verne, yeah. like the way that they conceptualize what the future is gonna look like, which makes it interesting to see like how close or far we are from predicting our own technology future because especially now, like technology changes so quickly. So that fast, yeah. Anyone I mean, there's movies now with tech that we aren't even close to in real life, but maybe we are. Like who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I thought the whole tech aspect was quite fun for me. I would love to, like, what's a very modern space movie, like, that depicts space in the, the future? Rise of or, like, I, I don't know, The Expanse, I guess? The Expanse, yeah. <laughs> like, something like The Expanse, where it's, like, it shows space travel using, like, what would be seemingly future mm-hmm. tech. It would be really interesting to see what people 40 years from now, when they watch The Expanse, would be like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those crazy 20, <laughs> 2010s, 2020s people have no idea what, what they're doing, and it looks so That's retro, so and it looks like it belongs in a museum. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you, Luke. I love how, you know, human depiction of what the future looks like can be close, but also so far off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that brings me to my final question for you. What does your Discord name mean with Xenomorpheus? I, I'm getting the Morpheus part from the Matrix, I think, but Xeno is spelled with a Z instead of an X. So explain yourself. Well, that, that's just a straight up pun because obviously the Xenomorph in the movie is with an X because ah. the Xeno prefix just means like different or alien. Yep. Right, like it's, yeah, it, it, and so, but the Zeno I've spelled is just a is a Greek joke because Zeno was a Greek philosopher who invented Zeno's paradox, which is every time you run towards something at any point, you're halfway closer than you were at your start, and then you're halfway closer again and halfway right. closer again. So lo- logically, you can never actually reach your destination because you're only ah. halving your distance, and that's infinite. And that was a paradox until advanced mathematics got in, involved as well they're so, just like take another step you know what are you doing <laughs> yeah so it's it's just okay it's just a as pun. someone that's only seen alien though mm-hmm. is xenomorph 
a term that comes up in the future movies? Yeah, I think so. Okay, mm. well, you keep saying it, and I have no idea what you're talking about, because there's only this... The, as far as I'm aware, it's called well the alien. I don't know, actually. So, it, yeah, maybe not. I, I know that... There was no mention of any xenomorph in that's this true. movie. Yeah, the, the word xenomorph would just literally translate to alien shape. So mm-hmm. I know that that I don't. How about shape. animorphs? That shit was animorphs cool. Was awesome. <laughs> I don't know if they men- they make mention of a name for the creature in other movies, but it is known to the fans and in the canon as the xenomorph. So whether or not that came about as somebody else labeling it as such, or if it was in the show bible or something, where it was like this is the backstory that we're not going to put in, but but yes, that is what the creature is known as. It's called the xenomorph. Cool. Yeah, and I think awesome. I think morph. I have context now. I think morph actually more specifically than shape might mean changing shape. I'm just looking it up now. Maybe. <laughs> so it could mean it could mean like foreign <laughs> shape changing, as well as foreign it does shape. Change Science nerd. What a nerd. Yeah. Uh, so the definition is in biology, an individual of one particular form as a worker ant in a species that occurs in two or more forms. So. Right, nerd. <laughs> I think that's like that is what happens later on. Spoiler alert for aliens, but we get the existence of like an alien queen, and these are kind of like a hive-like creature mm-hmm. where if there's a lot of aliens, aliens plural, aliens plural, yeah. Or how quickly it goes from like this tiny little alien to this massive alien. Yeah, that's true. It's really quick, but awesome. Okay, let's talk about scariest part. We got a scariest part of this movie. Since this is your pick, Alex, we're going to do the thing where you go first. All right. The scariest part is when the alien just appears behind Dallas in the vent. Mm. And you hear noises on the other end. You you don't actually ever see anything. You just hear noises. And then it cuts to the next scene. Yeah. That was the scariest part for me. Big scare. Big scare. My scariest part was when Ripley is in the shuttle and you think she's safe. And she's like getting ready for the hypersleep. And you just sort of see that shot of the wall behind her and you realize that what looks like a bulkhead is actually the alien and then its hand jumps out. I was just like, ah! I mean, I knew it was coming, but it was still like, (laughs) oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Luke, scariest bit? Again, putting myself in the audience in 1979 watching this, I think the scariest part is when we first see the alien as a full-grown alien because Mm. that's so unexpected. I think it's in maybe Brett's death scene. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's Brett's death scene. That's the first, like, we've just seen, recently we've seen this tiny little alien burst out of Kane's chest and run away. So, like the characters, we're expecting, we're looking for this, like, baby alien, basically. And so, for it to be showing up in a shot as this fully grown killing machine is just, mm-hmm. I, I can imagine being in the theater and just thinking, like, what the fuck? How it's did that happen? It's as <laughs> yeah. big as a man. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. so I think I'm going to, I'm going to label that one, even though, because I've seen this before, like none of the parts scared me that are scary, no. but I think that one would have scared me the most in, in a theater view. It was the bureaucracy of <laughs> the, the bureaucracy. bureaucracy. That's the scariest part. <laughs> nice. Yes. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Well, let's rate this thing. What are we rating it out of, Alex? We are going to rate it out of five knuckle incisions that spill acidic blood. <laughs> okay. Five knuckle incisions that spill blood. Acid blood. What are you giving it? Duh. This movie was fantastic. 
I, I loved every bit of it. It's kind of like a science fiction dream movie. Like, I think everything about the space part, the way the set design looked was A+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I will give it a minor critique that it it was quite slow for a majority of it. And I think it is because of Ridley Scott. Yeah. So because of that, I'm going to give it a 4.75 Ooh, out of 5. 4.75 out of 5. I love this movie. I loved this movie before I watched it today. I've loved it every single time I watched it. And after this after this episode and discussing it, I still love it. And so I am giving this one my third ever 5 out of 5. 5 knuckle, knuckle blood acid, whatever you said. <laughs> so 5 out of 5. I love it. I'm watching it. I'm watching it later. I'll probably watch Aliens tonight, actually, like now that I think about it. <laughs> Luke? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I haven't seen it as many times as you have, Billy, but every time I have watched Alien, I think I like it more than the time before I watched it, and this time is no different. I Maybe because of the context of this podcast and just being a little bit more savvy about the tropes of horror and the style of horror, I appreciated this movie even more, so mm-hmm. I am pretty pretty settled on this being a total masterpiece from beginning to end, and I think temperamentally i am okay with the slower pacing like in a way that i love 2001 a space odyssey even though that's like the number one. Oh my god that movie was so slow yeah, like that's i mean this this movie's not even close to as slow as that movie and i like that movie a lot too so i can oh, uh so boring <laughs> <laughs> It's so boring. I've watched, I've it's watched, a, I've tried to a, watch, hang on, I've tried to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey <laughs> twice and I have fallen asleep three times in that movie. Like, that is how boring it is. You know what? If you want to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, watch that episode, The Trios of Horror with Pierce. Yeah. Yes. Pierce Brosnan as the robot. Well, <laughs> Sorry, Luke. I'll we stick to my off. guns. I'll stick Give to my guns ready. and still say it's a work of genius. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this movie is like, almost perfect i really can't think of a flaw in it other than like a little bit of cheesy dialogue but not anything that pulls me out in any way and so just reflecting on all of the movies we've done this movie deserves a five out of five so i'm gonna give it a five out of five as well which i believe is only my second so i I think yeah i think it's your second one can't find an extra quarter of a rating in there alex No. I don't know. Last I heard, a quarterback <laughs> throws a football and does not give fives. Yeah. No, you know what? I, I Yeah, I really like this movie. Like, I think giving, like, if I really had to, like, be, like, give a specific number, this would be, like, a 4.9. Yeah, it's so good. Like, I would round it up to a 4.9. Like, I, I, I don't think it's the perfect movie. Like, there are a few things that I wouldn't consider it to be a perfect movie, but it's damn near close to a perfect so movie. So good. Mm-hmm. So 4.99999 from Alex. <laughs> yeah. Something, something, Zeno, mathematics. You did it. Just keep jumping halfway to your goal. <laughs> what, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't give it a 4.95 because I will not take a nickel back. <laughs> Alrighty. Have they made music recently? I don't think so. Are we still making nickelback jokes? Oh. It's 2021. Come on. <laughs> All right, that'll be the end of the episode for us. It's time for something to cheer. And again, Alex, you picked this week, so you get to go first. Simple cheer. Kind of talked about it at the start. It's a long weekend. I get tomorrow off. 
I'm looking forward to a four-day week of work. Party time. That's that's my cheer. Just an extra day. You know, a, a real day to sleep in. I think I'm going to sleep in Ooh, tomorrow. Ooh, I love it. I... I haven't slept in in months. Uh, months. Someone keeps taking up your Sunday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. What a jerk. I am cheering this week a new podcast that I started listening to. It released its first episode last week, and it's called The Friendship Onion, starring, speaking of Lord of the Rings, Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan. They've started a podcast where where they just talk about their friendship and talk about making the Lord of the Rings movies. And just, I listened to the first episode, and the fact that these two guys are such good friends in real life. You just feel the relationship so fully with everything they do. They're always my favorite part about the cast commentary on the extended Lord of the Rings DVDs. And if you like that, if you're in that subset of nerddom, I think you would like the Friendship Onion podcast. It's just like two nice boys talking about like a nice time in their lives. So I fully recommend that one. And it's like a big time cheer for me. A great Mary and Pippin story is when they were running down the Brandywine Bridge and Dominic Monaghan gets the splinter up his prosthetic <laughs> yeah. foot. If you haven't checked out the Lord of the Rings extended edition special features, do it's it. It time. is so, so good. good. <laughs> All right. What's your cheering, Luke? This is kind of a, I guess I'm cheering my most un, unplanned <laughs> celebrity sighting oh. of all time. Because last Wednesday, I went out to have a couple drinks with a friend at uh, one of the outdoor patios that is going on here. And lo and behold, at the table beside us was sitting Thomas Middleditch, who is actually from Nelson, BC. So he was there visiting. I think he was hanging out with his brother. And he's probably best known as Richard Hendricks in the TV show Silicon Valley. But he's been in a lot of comedy recently. So it was just, it was like a really weird scenario. Just sit down and look over and be like, oh, that's a famous person. Hey, that's a famous person. <laughs> did, you, did you go talk to them? No, that's that's bad manners. But I think he could probably Fair tell enough. I was glancing at him. I think he knew <laughs> I recognized him. But I didn't want to go interrupt him when he's having like, personal yeah also like i I think silicon valley is a hilarious show but i <laughs> hot take i don't think he's the funniest character on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should approach him and been like hey i think your show is really yeah. good but i don't think you're the so, funniest character and just walk away so what's Come martin star really like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so no it was it was but it was just like it was fun. It was fun to like just sit down and look across, and be like, "Oh, I've only ever seen you on TV, and here you are in real life." And he's he's from the same hometown as me, so that's it's not surprising, really. Oh, that's cool. Just kind of cool. That's really cool. I once saw when I was in Vancouver, I walked past a cafe, and Alan Tudyk was at the, t- the table, right at the window, having breakfast, and we locked eyes, and <laughs> in the like. One millisecond of eye contact we had, I read an entire like plea to like, please don't come in and talk to me. I just want to have breakfast. So it was just like, keep walking. Don't make, don't like, don't bother this famous person yeah. who just wants to get breakfast. I like, I like to imagine that a famous person deeply appreciates the fan who recognizes them but doesn't go annoy them. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think so. For sure. Whew. I don't know about you, but I'm real hot in this little tent that I've been in for the last hour and a half. So I think we'll wrap the show up here. Time to time to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. But before we go, I have just a little bit of a review that I got from 
friend of the pod and in real life, Brooke. It's not really a review, but just a comment on our Lighthouse episode. And they were talking about the fear in that movie, how we talked about there's not really any scary parts. There's like an H.P. Lovecraft horror element. And they sent me a voice memo that I'm going to, I transcribed and I'm going to read. So they were telling me that the scariest part for her was the fact that when Ephraim looks in the lighthouse and it's just like the sound is really loud and everything's breaking down and it's all distorted in audio and screaming. That was like super overwhelming for them because the fact that there's just so much loud noise and light happening is just very unsettling. And, you know, she took the time out of her day to message us and I said, can I talk about it on the pod? And they said yes. So that's for you, Brooke. I read your thing. Sorry, which scene? Which scene are we referring to? When Ephraim looks in the light at the end. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. And it's just like noise and screaming and he's yelling, but it gets all distorted. And yet it still cuts off when he like has to take a breath in. And it's just like this weird staticky buzz kind of thing. Or it's like might be insane laughter. So I'll do us for another week. Ah. Ah. We are... <laughs> Findable on social media, some of us. You can find the show at Nothing to Fear Podcast on Instagram. You can find it at NTF Pod. You can find and follow me on Billy by Design on Instagram, I before E when spelling Billy, and underscores between the worlds, or on Twitter at Design Billy. And follow the show. Send us an email, Nothing to Fear Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. But if you want to hear more from my other hosts, where can they find you, Luke? Really True Fiction on all major and minor podcasting applications, I believe. And if you really, really, really want to find a bit more of Alex, he's on episode 71 as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more Alex in your life. We could all do with it. <laughs> and Alex, aside from your stunning guest star turn on Really True Fiction, where else can people hear from you? <laughs> Yeah, you can hear me here. You can hear me episode 71 of Really True Fiction. But besides that, you can also find me on the remains of the Nostromo. You know, somewhere out <laughs> obliterated in the depths of Beyond space. The uh, you can find me yeah. there. Beyond the other room, yeah. If you see Alex at a bar, don't go say hi to him. Don't. <laughs> Please don't. Unless unless I've had... Unless I've had, I'm four drinks in, then you Thank can come you talk know. to me. Okay. I would happily talk especially, to you when I'm fortunate. Especially because yeah. if you're obliterated out in space, anyone seeing you at a bar is probably just seeing an android. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sure hope if you do see me, I'm not covered in a white liquid oh, on God. my face. Because <laughs> then we definitely have to put it on the internet. <laughs> <sighs> Big heavy sigh. All right. It was milk. It was, yeah. I, I sure hope <laughs> I don't spill my milk out in public. Yeah. Yes. Well, no crying about it either milk way. Milk play. That is going to do us for another week of Nothing to Fear. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Katie for designing the logo. And you can buy our logo and other designs in merch form on our Public and Society6 stores. Thank you so much, Alex, for the music and your time. Luke, thank you for your time. Next week, we're doing a special event episode, it being the Midsummer episode. <laughs> and we're watching Midsummer. So it's the episode that comes up closest to summer. I know it's Luke's turn to pick next, but I superseded that. We're doing that. We're doing Midsummer, and I am so excited about Midsummer. I can't wait. So we'll talk about it next week. Luke's got a question. Did you plan this out since after last Midsummer? Yes, because our first episode yeah, so it's been... <laughs> came out the day after Midsummer, and I was like, we should do Midsummer on Midsummer. When is that? And I was like, oh no, it's a whole year away. <laughs> so well, I've been waiting. 
since it's been a joke a year in the making since i think in that movie it's like the sun never sets isn't that like a special event horizon then (laughs) well can you explain that to me i didn't quite understand so billy said next week we're doing a special event right and Mm -hmm. since in midsummer at least like the sun is out the whole time so you don't get like sunrises and sunsets at least in the same way it's like the horizon looks different than normal so it's kind of like a special event horizon but because we've Mm -hmm. done a movie called event horizon it's also a callback to our back catalog so it's like right it's a very clumsily reversed engineered joke that doesn't really need to happen but i think that's actually like my existence for being so thanks (laughs) i hate it (laughs) i I, oh i get it now okay all right let's go you're welcome alex you're welcome okay all right thanks for explaining so while there are riffs to fear don't worry folks (laughs) there's nothing to fear in movies it's not even the line god damn it Or like, Absolutely. just nothing like the internet in, in this. <laughs> like, obviously, it's a little ship. Although I will say, the one part that reminded me of the internet was Ash's face covered in white goo. That definitely reminded God damn me it, of the Luke. internet. <laughs> there, was a, there was a spooky ghost. Hey, it's ev- ectoplasm. Everything's on the internet. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, hey, listeners, thank you so much for sticking out all the way to the end of the pod. This is Billy just jumping in, reminding you that I am currently running a fundraising campaign for June dresses over on my Instagram page. And if you would like to donate some money, you can find the link there in my page in my bio. It, um, of course, my Instagram is Billy by design. I before E when spelling Billy and underscores between the words. And if you follow that link to the June Dresses campaign, you can donate some money that is going to go to the Skipping Stone Foundation here in Calgary, which is a wonderful organization that helps trans and gender diverse uh, youth, adults, and their families just get access to the things that they need to help them pursue their transitions and live happy healthy wonderful fulfilling lives and it'd be really great if you could donate if you have the means of course if if it's going to break the bank then please don't worry about it but even if you tell some other people that this is going around that would be really really wonderful all right talk to you later bye bye